I don't know how else to sum up 2013 other than to say that God has been huge and that he so often uses small groups of people to accomplish big things in his kingdom. And I have been thinking a lot about that because as a church, I don't know if you've ever been a pastor before. Actually, some of you have. <laughs> um, I'm not one, but I play one on television. The, 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 but the thing about it is, is there's like, it feels like you could easily fall into this game of bigger and better where you've got to just keep it bigger, get better in every year. And I, so I've just really been praying, how do we not fall into that trap that we're just doing it to try to outdo ourselves for the last year? And at the same time, just seeking the Lord and say, hey, this has been awesome. This is what we did this year. What would you have us to do in the next year? And I've been praying about it for a while. I've been thinking about it for a while. I've been talking about it with leaders and with elders and asking ourselves, well, now what do we do? Now what? Three years, three and a half years since this, we admitted we were a church. We joke about it because we technically were a a church before we were a Bible study. We just didn't know it. But three and a half years, you know, what is it that we do? It seems like sometimes you've been around long enough, you know that I'm pretty sure of what we're not, but you can't lead by what we're not. So what are we? And as a body of believers, man, we're blessed. You know, we've had had people say, wow, we'd love to be a part of your church, but we're looking for more of a family church and you guys are kind of a mission church. I don't know. I mean, I feel like maybe come back and give another chance because family's everywhere in here. What better way to be a family than to serve the, the Lord together as a family? And if you're visiting, know that we actually normally have center point kids, you know, the kindergarten through fifth, sixth, sixth, fifth grade. I just work here. Should know that. Normally have an awesome time together with, with Jim and with the leaders that have led that and our students have awesome ministries, but we do want to get together as families. And once a month, we've been doing that where we invite the kids in with us because it's, it's funny. It's good for them to see us worshiping. It's also good for us to see them worshiping. You guys inspire us. Did you know that? It's old fuddy duds. Uh, you guys inspire us. When I was reading this week in Revelation on our little journey through Revelation, the Lord the angel told John to measure the temple, which is such a weird thing to do, to measure the temple. And in a couple of weeks, I'll actually tell you some cool stuff about the literal temple today. I don't know if you know this, but one of the biggest discrepancies right now in the world is where the temple was located. The Jewish people believe it was on the Temple Mount. The Muslims believe the Temple Mount. And right now, the Dome of the Rock, one of the most important mosques in the world, is located right there. Some studies that have happened recently looking at the evidence actually shows that the temple itself was probably about a hundred yards north of where the temple mount is. So it's interesting when you say, when he says to measure that temple, but leave the outer courts because that's been given to the Gentiles. That actually is possible that that's what he's talking about, that the, they could coexist in that world. That's a whole other conversation. My question for this week is, Daniel, your hair is very festive this morning. Um, <laughs> just try to keep up with you now. <laughs> what did it mean to measure the temple? To measure it out? Why would we do that? And I've thought about that this week. And what does it mean with the temple itself? Why is a temple important? And I remembered that the Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Which is something that's easy to say. But I started really chewing on that. What does that mean exactly? He says, Paul would say to the church of Corinth, you, you yourself, don't you know that you're the temple? You yourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, what does that mean exactly? Now, I grew up charismatic, and what that meant was rock and roll during church service. We're running laps. we got the flags because we're the temple of the Holy Ghost <laughs> running around. Not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but that was where we grew up with it. But I think it might be more profound than that. And think about it with me because it plays into what I really believe the Lord wants us to be as a church. You and I as a church, not just conduit church, but the church at large. He wants us to be. Because when you think about it, there's a legitimate question. 
of why do I come here? Why do I go to church? Why do we gather? Why once we're here now, what do we do? It's a question we've asked ourselves over and over again. The temple that was built under Solomon, it was torn down, it was rebuilt. There's going to be a temple in the future that Revelation speaks of. But in the meantime, you and I are that temple. And for a long time, I thought of it in terms of, I myself, we're all little individual temples. Is that what you think maybe when you think about it? And I don't know that that's theologically wrong, but Lauren is a temple, George is a temple. We're all, but he says you yourselves are the temple. Peter would say you are living stones. So when you come together, you make up the habitation of the Holy Spirit. That's 1 Peter 2.15. Are we individual temples or is it when we come together that we become the temple? I'm a stone, you're a stone, and we come together. I mean, if I were to pull a brick out of this wall, this is still Independence High School. Is the stone Independence High School or is the stone together Independence High School? Are you the temple of the Holy Spirit or are we together the temple of the Holy Spirit? And if we're together the temple of the Holy Spirit, then what should we be doing? I think that there's a couple of things. One is we've got to, I don't know if you know this or not. I didn't know this until recently. In the temple itself, in Solomon's temple, in the sanctuary, was imagery, was pictures of Eden. The tapestries were full of pictures of Eden, of trees and pomegranates and almond trees. And the menorah itself was a picture of the tree of life. That was what was in the temple. And it reflected, it reminded of what once was. The writer of Hebrews would tell us that the temple was not only that, but it was a picture of what is already. It's a shadow of what is in heaven. So not only is it a reminder of what was in Eden, it's also a glimpse of what is behind there, which is what is in heaven. Which is why when it talks about the throne, what does it refer to in Hebrews? Not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace. In the temple, in the Holy of Holies, where the Eden imagery was, was the mercy seat, which was right above the Ark of the Covenant, where the Spirit of God would dwell. If you and I come together and are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we should remind those around us of what once was of Eden when God walked with man in the cool of the day and there was communication and there was no barrier in between us. We should be a glimpse of what is to come. Revelation 2 says that, or 7 says that there will be no more thirsty, there will be no more hungry. When we are a glimpse of what is to come, we together become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, theologically, this all sounds great, but what does that look like practically for us? I believe when we come together as a body of Christ, as temple of the Holy Spirit, it means we should actually literally reflect what once was. What once was was a world where people could commune with God, where there was no hunger, there was no nakedness, there was, well, what did Jesus say? <laughs> We should do for the least of these. We should clothe them. We should feed them. We should visit them when they were in prison. That's a glimpse of Eden. Because the kingdom of darkness would say that people in our body, that people in Haiti, that people in Nepal, people sitting here today, that you're not worth it. So you should be hungry and thirsty and naked and afraid and ashamed. And the temple of the Holy Spirit Revealing the kingdom of God would say, no, 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 that is not how it was meant to be. That there's a time when Jesus is going to come back and he will set it right. The government will be on his shoulders. Eden will be the way it was. We will all commune with God. There will be no one thirsty, no one hungry. But in the meantime, as we occupy until he comes as a body of believers, we get to be that to those around us. The living stones coming together to clothe those that are naked, to feed those that are hungry, to visit those that are in prison. That's what the temple of the Holy Spirit ought to be 
we can be. When he said to measure it out, it was interesting. I thought, where else does it talk about that? That word measure really strikes a chord with me. And it was Luke 6.38. What did he say? Given it shall be given unto you. Press down, shake and again. And I look, I know that makes for a great offering sermon. It's just not what it was meant to be. Because if you read it in the context, remember this. When you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. In context, Jesus was talking about don't judge lest you be judged. Be kind to those who are evil to you. And literally right in that, in the next breath, he says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. With the measure that you measure it out, that it will be measured back to you. As the temple of the Holy Spirit, what we get to do is measure out. John was told, measure the temple. Jesus told us to measure out the temple. Measure it out, and with the measure that you give it out, with that measure, it'll be meted, meted, meted. I don't know what the verb is there. Met, measured, back to you. King James, I believe, is meted. What does that mean for us? I'm glad you asked. Conduit was born out of being a Bible study. Lauren, I don't even know if you remember that. You were not very old. We would get together as a group of believers and we would just study the Bible and, we, and our motto was we're not a church, we just act like one. It was right on our MySpace page. That's how long it's been. But we got together as a small group of people and even though we did study and we did pray, we also didn't just sit there, but we were trying to solve problems that were bigger than ourselves and bigger than us individually. It started with 15 kids in Haiti. That's all we had. That's all we knew. We thought, that's all we thought we could do. That has since grown to 450 kids on a campus with a school, a clinic, a church. But we were just measuring it out. And the beauty of it, what we learned was that the word conduit wasn't just about money. It was about the Holy Spirit himself. Because a conduit, a pipe, trusts that once I turn that faucet on, that what's in the faucet will be replenished by the source that's behind us. With the measure that I meet it out, it will be meted back to me. With the measure I measure it out, it will be measured back to me. The faith is that we're not a reservoir, we're a conduit. Measuring it out, measuring our temple out. And as the church has grown, God has done incredible things. And I promise you, it's not because I'm that smart. My kids will tell you that. I've got scars on my body to prove that. I'm not that smart. But together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, with other living stones coming together, and everybody knowing their role, we've accomplished some amazing things. There's been moments of tension, but I don't know if you've ever put bricks together in concrete, but you know what happens when you're doing that? There's pounding on it, there's chipping, there's breaking away, there's smoothing, pressure. Of course that's going to happen. That's what made the building strong. That's what makes us strong. And as we've grown, it reminded me of what was going on in the book of Acts chapter 2. It said that they were getting together and that they were meeting people's needs and that people would sell things and help somebody in need. And it was just this beautiful expression of what Christ was doing. But by Acts chapter 6, it was all bottlenecking with the leaders. And they were feeding widows. And what was happening was there were the Greek widows, this is Acts chapter 7, who were not being taken care of because the Hebrew widows were being taken care of. It wasn't that there wasn't enough. It was that nobody was there trying to figure out how to make it happen. Good intentions, and all of a sudden there were needs that were being overlooked. And it says in Acts chapter 7 that you guys get together and appoint seven men to go and to figure it out. That's where we first heard of Stephen in the Bible. I've always heard that taught, taught that myself. It might even be right. That that was the first appearance of deacons in the body of Christ. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. What I do know is this, is what were they doing? They weren't trying to figure out the building program. They weren't trying to figure out the infrastructure or the budget. They're trying to feed some ladies that needed some help. A small group of people got together as living stones, became the temple of the Holy Spirit, and said to the Greek widows in the Bible, 
The Old Testament had said that there were Jews and then everybody else, but that's not what Jesus said. In the kingdom, there are neither Jew nor Gentile. The kingdom of God is we were all grafted into it, revealing the kingdom of God to them. As living stones, the temple of the Holy Spirit, revealing what once was in Eden of what once will be again in the future. How do we do that as a body here? We do it intuitively. You guys here, some of the youth were part of serving a family, a local family here. They were missionaries, and the husband had a, a stroke, and he wasn't able to, he's not able to really function, wasn't able to help. And so, what did you guys do? You got together, and how many were there that day and went and helped that family? Any of you guys here? Okay, middle school went to Carol's. Any senior hires here? Carrie was there. Carrie actually didn't tell anybody, and I probably, I don't want to steal your blessing, but he actually went back a couple days later and finished it all out. This is his job. He does it for a living. It's paid to, but he went out and didn't tell anybody and went and finished out this project to help this family. And then Carol, who's right in our own backyard, is a, and it's funny because you wouldn't know it because she didn't ask for help. Carol's husband, Steve, went home to be with Jesus a few years ago, and she's strong, but sending over the middle schoolers, you guys went over there and helped her just take care of the yard. Let me ask you this question, and you can be honest with me. Was it more fun working in her yard than it is working in your own yard? And we laugh about that, but that's what Jesus said would happen. With the measure you mean it out, it will be measured back to you. All of a sudden, yard work doesn't stink anymore when it's being measured out to someone else. We call that the missionary high. Jesus said, it's just going to measure it back to you. And you guys worked together. Did you guys become closer friends and work together? Relationships were built together. Living stones coming together, reflecting to the kingdom of God, to Carol in our own body. And Melissa, if we put your glasses with Daniel's hair, we might have something here. (laughs) But as we're growing, what happens now is it's bottlenecking with the, the leadership. And I've been asking, well, Lord, what would you want us to do? How do we do this as a body of believers? Because here's what we've got. We've got big problems in this world that are the kingdom of darkness saying to us, that you are not worthy, that you need to be poor, that you need to be homeless, that that's who you are. Those problems exist in the world. And on the other side of that, in the body of Christ, are intelligent, talented, qualified, gifted people. How do we connect the need with the solution revealing the kingdom of God to them? I'm glad you asked that question. We've done it intuitively. There was a, a lady I can talk about her. She's, she's not a part of our fellowship even, but she's local. and She's a single mom that was homeless. She was couch surfing with her two boys, and her car broke down. I knew her a friend of a friend. So in our little conduit Facebook group, I put a post up. And before we know it, Dolores found her a place to live. Somebody, who I didn't get permission, so I won't say, put some money in the pot to get her car fixed. Somebody donated furniture. And within 48 hours, this young lady, this young single mom with her two boys had a place to live, had furniture, and their car was fixed because a small group of people got together and said, that's not the kingdom of God. What if that's what, when we came together, part of what we do? What if a small group isn't us navel-gazing kumbayaing and holding hands in a circle and going through the Rick Warren book. What if it could be that, but we got a problem. We got to figure this out. We got graphic artists. We've got finance people. We got construction people. If those are in a room together and say, for instance, place of hope, it's a place that we serve, that we have financially donated to. It's where it's Christ centered rehabilitation for drug and alcohol. And it is everything from, there's women and there's men there. There are the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor because addiction doesn't care. They've got more people that need beds than they have beds available. There's this nursing home that they were given. If we could just remodel some rooms in there, maybe get a couple of rooms going. How do we do that? Now, what we would normally do is we do a work day. 
the church leadership goes to Home Depot and we get the paint and we figure it out. And then you guys meet us there and we paint and we go home. What if it was different than that? What if it's four or five families? And I say families because I think the kids do it with us. We get together and over a six-week period, this group, you guys, you're the seven appointed by the Holy Spirit to figure it out. You get together once a week. We're praying about it, but I think we just do it Sunday immediately following our service. We're going to be starting at 10 o'clock. We're done by 1130. We bring food in. We have, you got to go to lunch somewhere anyway. And we got to be out of here by one because the contract says you got to be out by one. Get together, we shove everything in the trailer and then your group is over here and our group's over there and that group's over there and we have lunch and we talk about what's going on and when we figure out, okay, that one for Home Depot, we got to get, or Lowe's, we got to, because Ted's here, we got we to gotta Lowe's hookup. Who's going to help us figure out the supplies? Okay, we have two rooms. We're going to need somebody to get the beds. We're going to need to figure out who's going to get the, the carpets. The, so in that group, if we had somebody who was a talented interior design person, if we have somebody who's an administrator, somebody who knows what they're doing to get stuff to figure out how to the budget and all that stuff, we need a leader, somebody that's going to drive and get her done. We need an idea person. We need a thinker. We need a doer. And all of those together, by the way, is Romans 12, the spiritual gifts, the gift of administration, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership. Coming together, because every problem, I believe this, requires living stones to come together because any one of us on our own isn't enough to solve it. And God wired us that way because otherwise we wouldn't need him. We wouldn't need each other. But I need somebody who can count to help us with conduit. We have that because I can't. It's not my spiritual gift. Starting in January, we're going to try this with three groups. And we're going to try it with three because I want to make sure that we, we're going to learn a lot on the fly. We're going to learn a lot. I've, I've researched, Googled, called. I can't find anybody that's done this, so I'm not 100% sure how we're going to pull it off. But I believe, I mean, I have not been this excited about something because I feel like God has revealed that this is what we do as a church. And all we're doing is giving a system to what we already do. Not because we want to tell you, boss you around, none of that, but because we have people that need us to figure it out. And if we figure it out, our gifts come together, reveal the kingdom of God to a person in need, whether they're in our own body right here, whether they're in Columbia, Tennessee, a place of hope, whether they're in restoration ministries in Haiti, Nepal, wherever it is, this small group of people comes together, figures it out. And we're going to do that for six weeks. Why six weeks? I don't know. But it felt like the right number to say that we have a beginning, a middle, and an end. We won't let it ride out forever. We can't over with, again, with Haiti, it was just 15 kids. Now, we didn't have the wherewithal to think beyond that, but that was solvable. And together, we solved it. And on the seventh week, so we're going to start this the third week of January, 19th. I will be fresh back from Haiti, probably a little gamey still, for sure salty. And we're going to get together. In fact, the next round of Discover Conduit, if you're new to this church body and you've wanted to be a part of a Discover Conduit, we're going to do this coinciding with that. David just returned from Nepal with his family. There's a hospice over there at a, a guest house, but a hospice. If you are sick and you're dying in a place like Nepal, I mean, here we have medical care and you can be in a hospice and be taken care of. There you get to go to the streets, but there's a hospice there. And he really felt when they were over there that the Lord was saying, we need to help them figure out how to pay the rent on this place. And over the next year, we're going to figure out how to do that. It's $7,500 for the year. In six weeks, can a group of 12 people figure out a way to raise two grand? Absolutely. I've been praying as to what the Lord would have our group to do. David's going to lead one. I'm going to lead one. Cortland is going to lead one. Cortland is there, back. Cortland's going to lead a group to get those two rooms up and running in place of hope. After six weeks, we're going to celebrate on a Sunday. We're going to party 
and celebrate what God did in those six weeks. Not through me, but through us. Maybe we take a couple weeks off and then we do it again. And here's the beauty of it. If you want to take a couple weeks off or you want to take the summer off, absolutely. It removes the pressure that I'm always got to be something that works and it's it's sort of burnout. It saves that. Or if you were in the group that, man, you took care of this single mom and it went great and we just hope mobbed her for six weeks, figured out everything she needed and figured out a way to love on that mama and her children. At the end of that six weeks, if you really had a heart towards Haiti or Nepal, then do, do that the next six weeks. Or if you loved it and the group you loved was gelling and it's rocking and rolling, stick together for another six weeks. And over time, I could see this building to a place where even in our, we're sending long-term missionaries out. Let me tell you, what you figure out when you get overseas and you move into your new place? You figure out everything you didn't figure out. What if we had a small group that was devoted for that six weeks to getting those needs met? What if there was a small group eventually that would just, we make a year commitment to that family. Here's the fundraising expert. Here's the person that knows, uh, believe it, we're in a room full of people that have been overseas, that have lived there. You guys surround that family and love on them. They have a person they call, a group they can fall back on, a group of living stones coming together to be the temple the Holy Spirit. When you read 1 Peter 2 and read it all the way through, he starts talking about the same thing Jesus talked about in Luke 6.38, which is, it's so easy to be nice to somebody who's nice to you, but what about when they're mean to you? Anybody can do it when they're nice, but if you love them when they're mean. And he goes into that context and he says this, let your good works silence the talk of foolish men. The best well-crafted argument we can make cannot do what a group of Christ-believing followers of Jesus can do, living selflessly on. Of course, discipleship is going to happen in that context. Relationships are going to be forged. You know why Marines want to be buried next to each other? Because they warred together. Jesus is form of discipleship wasn't a class. I don't know if there's anything wrong with a class. That's just a very American thing to do. His was more of an apprentice. Try this. When they tried it, sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. They came back. Hey, but the demons didn't come out. He said, well, that's because you didn't this. You had to do prayer and fasting. He sent them out even when they weren't even ready to go. And they learned just like you and I do better while they're trying it. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Peter cut the guy's ear off. Jesus is like, oh, I apologize. That's not right. Here, put that back on. Here, not yet, Peter. That's not what I meant about the kingdom. What if our church was that? What if our small groups were that? What if that was what God was going to have us do as a body? Imagine what the video looks like next year because the bottleneck is broken. We're going to need leaders. I'm going to need people that have a passion for, because it's not going to be me dropping the edict of here's what we need. Go do this. In this room, there are people who are passionate about things they're already doing. Missionaries. Andrew and Glenda with what they're doing with disaster relief. There's there's people that are already passionate about it. What is the Lord asking of you? What are you already doing? This is the answer to how the church can come alongside and make it happen. Am I making sense? Do you smell what I'm stepping in? What questions do you have? What am I, what am I communicating improperly? What, what are you confused about? Oh, come on. I know I'm not communicating that good. My wife will tell you that. This is not my strong skill. <laughs> There's a whole lot of, oh yeah, I'm going to Haiti next week. I apologize, I forgot. <laughs> it's not quite that extreme, but it's almost. Sue. That's good. Okay, so three teams. For start, yeah. Okay, each one of those teams have a leader. Yep. Um, that leader builds together a team of creative people, construction people. Maybe uh, uh, this is always important. Someone finance, etc. 
they sit down, they take those six weeks, divide that up, see what needs done, the money that needs to be raised each time. They raise it, they go ahead to do it, they put together a uh, storyboard of everything that's going to happen. Storyboard, there's a good one, I didn't know put that. it together. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I got it. Could it be that simple? <laughs> I mean, could it? If Jesus really is simple and the kingdom is simple. Edie. On that, she said leaders put together a team, but do you just find the team you want to be on that you feel passionate toward? Like that's a good question. Do you go know. to that team or? <laughs> <laughs> or to- well, that's the question: is how do we let the spirit lead, but at the same time say that if you're, because for instance, if you're a single mom, like Carol, for instance, there's areas of her life where she's had need, but there's other areas where she is plentiful to give away in. So everybody, there's a place for everybody on a team. And whether we appoint them on this first one, what we've, what we've really prayed about is that we would actually appoint and pick based upon, well, basically criteria. Some of them are people that have communicated we want to be part of a group or part of a thing. Some of them are the, those that have said, I want to be part of Discover Conduit. So my team was kind of easy. But as time goes on, we really, that's why we feel like for this first one, we do three of them. And David and Cortland and I get together three times a week anyway. So we'll be able to get together and say, okay, this is working. Oh boy, that didn't work at all. And really work a lot of this out so that by the, I think around March, when the next round happens, we'll have some stuff figured out. And if we play our cards right in that six weeks, this next round, there'll be people there that got it and they understood it. And then my job, Cortland's job, whatever becomes a, we're resourcing, we're helping. We're saying, Hey, I've been raising money for six years. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I can help in those areas. Cortland is relationally connected in lots of different areas in town. So we can walk along and resource, but in the very beginning, we'll be leading them ourselves for those first three while we're figuring it out as, as to how we do it as time rolls on, you know, is it as simple as that there's a web page where there's, here's the needs we're going to be meeting. Here's the kind of people we need on this team, sign up for it. Or is it this leader is now personally inviting? Cause I know this person and that person's never going to volunteer, but they're smart and they're just too shy. I'm going to call them and ask them. I think it'll be maybe a combination. Cortland? I feel like Montel. One thing that uh, we started to talk about, and hopefully what will happen is all of you have passions. Every single one of you. You've got something in your heart that God's called you to do, and some of you are sitting on it because it's not time yet. Well, we hope that through these first three groups, some of those passions begin to come to the surface. And if you're not in the first three groups, you're not excluded. Right. But talk to me. Let me hear what's going on in your life. And actually, there's a couple of people sitting in this room who've already started to do that. And we've started to talk about what could happen. Because that passion that you have is not meant for you to be doing it in isolation. There's nothing in the Word that says do this by yourself. So what we will do is begin to put those passions up on the screen or put them up in people's life and say, hey, Edie, what's your passion? And you tell us. And we say, hey, Kathy, you know Edie, and you have a passion that's like that passion. And then that begins the second group. And that, those, these first three groups multiply out into multiple groups. And yes, we're, we're looking at them from a, from a schedule perspective of going, what does six or seven weeks look like? But you know what's going to happen is you guys are conduits. Yeah. And you're going to get up and start doing stuff. And I don't, and Darren doesn't, and David doesn't either, wherever he's at. We don't want you to do it alone. So make it known who you are, what God's called you to. Um, be teachable in how can we help you. And we'll walk alongside you. And see what God does. And that's one of the things I love about this is this whole celebration thing of, you know, Darren stayed up a couple of weeks ago and he, um, he told us stories that we didn't know. He told us stories about what some of you are doing that we didn't have any clue of. Get, let's do that every seven weeks and see what happens. So that's where it's heading. Hi, Amanda. Welcome home. Um, I was just caught, uh, wondering if this, this is going to take place of the community groups. or 
I'm reticent to say that it takes the place of it, but if all of our groups right now are in a somewhat of a transitionary phase. And so it might, I mean, you know, some of us are moving. <laughs> Others are at different phases of life. It just feels like the right time to just see what the Lord would say. So I'm hesitant to drop the hatchet and say, if a group is meeting, they love, then we're just going to come in and just overturn the apple cart. But on the other side, I would say to groups that are meeting, hey, while you're together, why don't you do something that matters? You know what I mean? Like long-term kind of stuff. And not that it doesn't matter coming together, but it's like the question for me was, is it faith or is it works? The age-old question. Faith without works is dead. I don't think it's faith or works. I think it's faith that works. I think it's why when the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together in the previous verse, which you've heard me spout over and over again. Hey, and while you're together, verse 23 of Hebrews 10, provoke one another to do good things. That when James chapter 1 would say that true religion is this, the caring for the orphans and the widows and turning your back on the things of this world. You know, it's just a few verses earlier that he says, and I mean five verses earlier, he says, oh, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. So what do you think he's talking about in doing in the word? But we're doing stuff that's awesome. And what better thing to do with the gift that God's been given you than to reveal the kingdom of God to the people that need it the most? Uh, I kind of saw this maybe as an opportunity to build on the community groups. Yeah. That not only like yeah. do you meet, but then as a group, maybe after this first six weeks, that group decides what they want to do. Yeah. And maybe that gives, you know, the group right. together at right. another time, which I know we've got some people that would like to meet more often. And this would be great because it'd be a situation where um, you know we're meeting to do something in addition to having I think the fellowship and the study we're doing is great right yep. now but to do to meet that second time of a week maybe like you say mm-hmm. Sunday afternoon and do something as a group I think that would you know yeah. bind the group even closer together and um, and it's they, what they did. The disciples did that. They came together for prayer, fellowship, teaching, mm-hmm. breaking of bread. That's verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts. And then it says, oh, and then they went about and they gave and they, the people were healed and things were happening. Yeah. It's just a result of that. That's when it says that you were in he, uh, Ephesians 2.10, I think. Someone might want to double check me. It says you were created to do good works. That's why it's not that you are getting. It's, he says you're not saved by works. That's in that passage. You're saved by grace, not by works, and but you're created to do good works. Not to get saved, it's just that's why you were made. That's what happens. And the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, would say, I'm isolated. I'm not smart enough. I really feel, this is where I was for years. I thought, man, I really want to do something. But I didn't know what to do, so I didn't do anything. You guys have been preached at for how long? Go do, go do. You know, and, but I, if I don't know what to do, where to start... Maybe that's part of the magic of what the kingdom is as well. Together we get to know. Together we get, and we have a mission that we're on now. Any other questions? Hodge. Hi, Hodge. Hi, Dee. Um, if you are not in a community group, is that going to have any effect on being placed in nope. a group? Not at all. In fact, it actually makes you a bigger candidate. Sweet. Pick me. Pick me. <laughs> it's totally me. I was the fat kid in gym class. Pick me. Pick me. Not you. I'm sorry. I'll tell you not something. Wow. He said he was the fat kid. I heard him. I heard him. I've known Audrey since she was 13, and that just doesn't make it any funnier. She's not. Sorry. I'm going to show you why this is important. We got video. I'm going to show you what it looks like when the kingdom of God is revealed. A little story to remind us what this time of year is supposed to be about. A story that Steve Hartman found on the road in Pennsylvania. Whether you believe in Santa Claus or God or fate, no matter what you believe, you're not going to believe what happened in Reading, Pennsylvania. All right, let's go. It began like all the other times. 
Every year I go out with Secret Santa, an anonymous businessman who travels the country at Christmas time, randomly going up to people in bus stations and thrift stores and handing out $100 bills. Are you lying? Oh, no, it's true. Oh, my God, this is crazy. Although the reactions are priceless. Every year he spends sometimes more than $100,000 of his own money on this. Here's $100. And one thing I've always wondered is, is it really worth it? You don't know what these people are going to do with this money. Do you care? No, because one of the things that I do is I do not judge. Good thing, because separating the naughty from nice and this is, for you. is definitely not his forte. I didn't earn that. You, you did earn it, because I can tell you're a good man. A good man? Yeah. When was the last time you heard that? Maybe like uh, my mom. 30-year-old Thomas Coates is a total deadbeat, at least by most accounts, including his own. I wish I was special. Addicted to heroin, he recently hocked his own son's toys for drug money. That's how bad it is. I haven't worked in over a year. You know? I spent so much time in and out of treatment facilities. Why his girlfriend hasn't left him and taken their son is a mystery, even to her. Grab your bag. But she is now running out of patience, which is why the night before we met him, during yet another one of their many money fights, she suggested he try something radical. She said, maybe you can shoot a prayer up to God real quick, you know? I know you, know, you don't really believe in him, but maybe you can start. And so he did pray for the first time since childhood. Take it for you. Take it. Take it. Then out of the blue, the saint shows up, slipping hundreds into his hand. You could almost see the wheels turning. That kind of kindness from a total stranger the day after he prayed. You're my man. See you, pal. It was too much of a coincidence for this atheist to bear. It's amazing. That to me was a miracle. That was God saying, all right? You had enough now. <laughs> I'm going to show you something. So from here on out, it's up to me. After meeting Secret Santa, Thomas checked himself into a treatment facility. And although he's done it before, he says this will be the first time with a higher power at the helm. Maybe that gave him the hope that he needs to break his addiction. And maybe that'll be the turning point that'll change his life, and maybe he won't go back. Now, wouldn't that be worth it? Every penny. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Reading, Pennsylvania. That's the news. If you don't recognize Secret Santa, go listen to a Motel 8 or Super. We'll leave a light on for you. I'm Tom Bodette. We'll leave a light on. He's a Christian. Being kind. And with his good works, has silenced the arguments. Foolish arguments. I can't think of anything better to do as a church than that. I can't think of any better option than to empower you to resource, to gift you the gift of delivering. We, every one of you has a gift inside of you. Romans 12 says that you do. We're all given a gift. Go home and read it and study it and see which one resonates with you. It's during the Christmas season, we did most of our shopping online, and we had UPS drivers. We have a pretty long driveway. It was sort of unfortunate. But they went the extra distance and delivered the packages to our door. How frustrating would it have been to know that the UPS driver took our Christmas gifts and just parked somewhere with them? You see, you're the answer to somebody's prayer, to somebody's wish, to somebody's hope. You're the UPS driver carrying a gift that God has placed in you, and how dare we park on the side of the road and hold on to it? And we do it because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of, I don't know how to do this. I'm afraid of failing. Fear melts away, and 
multitude of counsel together. When I was a little kid, there was a, a, a house down the street that we swore was haunted. We know it's not, right? But we thought it was. Let me tell you, I would never have gone in there by myself, but you got Troy Covey and Marcus Gonzalez with me, I'm going. Because together we can do more. Together we not only gift each other, but we bolster each other's courage. When we have a family that moves overseas, which we're going to be making uh, that announcement uh, pretty quick in a Sunday, I want to get to tell their story, but Juilliards are moving to Guatemala. I want them to know they're not alone. Not just one hit wonder, we go down and do a trip and visit them, but we are on fire working with them on their behalf constantly. They're not alone. They don't have to go into the haunted house by themselves. <laughs> into that, I had a dark, creepy basement, same thing. I'd have never gone down there at night by myself, but man, with my brothers, we're going. There are some dark, creepy places in this world, and we need each other to bolster each other's courage. That's the future of Conduit. It's not a what we're not. That's what we are. That's what we do. It's what we've already done. It's funny. I'm not saying, oh, Darren, that's genius. Not really. We just were already doing it. I'm just actually discovering it. Heard Andy Stanley in a message talking about leadership, talking about they were being very successful and they needed to take time and figure out why because they didn't know. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know. We need to figure it out so that we, in case something stopped working, we know what we're doing wrong, but we just weren't doing it. And, and for us, what we're called to be is living stones. Not to be enamored, Jesus in Mark 13, they're making that final entry into Jerusalem where he's going to ultimately give his life and they walk in and they see that temple and the disciples, Mark 13 verse 1, say, whoa, Jesus, check that out, that fabulous building, those blocks, the architecture. And Jesus says, hey, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but don't get too caught up in that because there's coming a day where not one stone will be left and on the other. And that is exactly what happened 70 years later. We cannot get enamored of the buildings and the projects and the things. What we need to be enamored of, I mean, everybody's got a temple. The Muslims have a temple. The Hindus have a temple. Everybody's got a temple. Only one, Jesus said, no, you are the temple. And we are the temple at its finest when your block and my block and his block and her block are pounded together and chipped away at and pressed together to create the kingdom of God, the revelation of the kingdom of God, a reminder of Eden, a glimpse of glory. Isn't that an awesome way to be church? As our worship uh, team comes back, I'd love for you to pray, think, if you have questions more later that you think about, just email me or Cortland. Conduitchurch.com, our contact information is all on there. You want that? And as this first group, we're going to do our best to communicate everything, but stuff's going to fall between the cracks because we're making this up as we go along. But the Holy Spirit guiding us, I believe that's a better way to do it because I'm not tempted to go copy someone else's model because I don't know that there is one. We're going to look to the Bible, we're going to look to each other, and we're going to look to the Holy Spirit. Father, would you give us wisdom as we embark into the future, as we say and put a flag in the ground and say, hey, wow, this is what you've called us to do. Lord, would you empower and impassion us? Give us courage and bolster us. Bolster me, Lord. Don't let me get in the way of this and bottleneck this thing. But let, just like in Acts chapter 7, the brothers and sisters in Christ in a small band of warriors coming together to accomplish big things for your kingdom. Lord, let that be us. Let we be the answer, part of the answer to your prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Would you celebrate with us by singing these songs? Stand. And higher than the mountains that I face Stronger than the power of the grave And constant in the trial and the change It's one thing remains Sing that again And higher than the mountains that I'll 
Simple chorus again. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. confident and covered by the power of your great love and my death is paid there's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love your love never fails and never ends out on me your love never fails and never gives up your love as we continue in our worship we have communion set up on both sides of the room we have our ushers coming forward give you the opportunity to give as we sing as we take communion as we give these are all forms of worship and as Darren shared as we come together the spirit comes in and leads us in this dank colorless room of a school spirit is present
you stood before creation eternity in your hand you spoke the earth into motion my soul now stands You stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now stands. So what can I say? And what could I do? Offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon salvation. Your spirit alive in me. It's life to declare your promise. My soul now stands. So what can I say? And what could I do? Offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. And what can I say? And what could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who And I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrender all I am is yours. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. And I'll stand. My soul, Lord, to you surrender all I am is yours, yeah. And I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all. The one who gave it all, I'll stand my soul. What could I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. And what can I say? And what could I do? 
but offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. What can we do with that, right? Just offer our hearts and our lives to him. I hope you're as excited about this as I am because I'm borderline about to get charismatic on you. (laughs) It's in me. (laughs) If you're new and you're saying, man, I really want to be a part of that, the next Discover Conduit, I want to be a part of that. How do we do that? Do you? See, Cortland. (laughs) See, that's what we need a system for. Uh, We already have one. See, Cortland, because January 19th, you can be a part of that our inaugural group of that. And of course you get to learn about what conduit has been and what we do, but be a part of the kingdom. What are we forgetting next week? 10 AM. If you're at 1030, you'll be 30 minutes late, which is kind of normal anyway, but 10 AM and all the kids will be back in your classes. Everybody's like, yeah. Lauren's like, awesome. Yeah, Melissa, you talk all week. <laughs> That's what she's thinking.